You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. So, now, we're going to get to the first couple of verses of chapter 4 of Galatians, but we're going to skip verses 1 through 7 right now uh, for two reasons. One, because I hope you know this passage well. Am I expecting that you read it throughout the week? Okay, no, maybe not. Okay, but you know what? During the course of Christmas and then some other time just before that, we actually heard this passage preached three different times, three different ways, reinforcing the truths of this passage. We talked about adoption one week. Then we talked about Jesus coming at just the right time. And then we, I think, Derek, I can't remember, you talked about that one. Or you talked about Jesus being born under the law. It was reversed. I can't remember. But one of each of us did that. And so we know this, these verses well. We know these verses well. And we're going to finish there. But we need to get through some details in the text that could be a distraction to us. And yet, they're details of the text that are good for us to know as well. All right? And, and I want to deal with it first, too, because there's a little bit of speculation. So when I preach on a Sunday morning, one of my hopes is I am only saying things to you that I can verify as being truthful. Okay? That should be expected of a preacher. Okay? But I'm not holding myself up to a very high standard here, except for to say, when I say something, I want to be sure of what I am saying. And there are certain things in verses uh, 8 through 20, that I can't exactly say that I'm sure about. Uh, They're important to the context of the letter. They're not necessarily important to the context of our faith. All right? And if you don't know what I'm saying, we'll get there in just a second. So, verse 8, Galatians chapter 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Okay, first and foremost, what is Paul talking about? Um, I think what he's pointing here to are the powers and the principalities, Paul would say elsewhere. These are authorities in charge of this world. This can be kings and rulers. This can be demonic forces that are in charge of this world. Whichever one it is doesn't matter. Paul's saying you were enslaved to those ones. Before you knew about God, uh, you were enslaved to things that called themselves gods, things that thought they were gods, things that wanted you to think that they were gods, but they were nothing of the sort. They're not like the God that we know. But now, you have come to know God. Anytime Scripture is using the word know or knowledge, um, yes, we're talking about our heads now, okay? We're talking about our heads, and yet, we're also talking about something that's very intimate. Like the way a husband knows his wife, for better or for worse. No, it's like the way a husband knows his wife, okay? Uh, When you know God, what Paul is saying here is, you have an intimate knowledge of who God is. How can he say that? Why would he be saying that? Because, as we've talked about with the law of God before, The law's never distorting who God is. And yet, the law of God is also not God Himself. 
Can we look at the law of God and say things about God's character? Sure. Is the law the definition of God's character? No, it is not. So, how can we have an intimate knowledge of God? There's only one way that you can have an intimate knowledge of God, and that is knowing Christ as your Savior. Moses, when he went up to Mount Sinai, we've studied this recently, we talked about it last week or a couple weeks ago, and how did, what was the kind of intimate knowledge that Moses had about God? Same kind of knowledge that Job had about God. The God of the whirlwind. The God that spoke out of the fire and the lightning and the thunder and the storm. A God of such great power and authority that Moses could not look at Him without dying. That everyone else had to be shielded from this God by cloud so that they would not see uh, His presence in whatever way that takes shape and die. How is it then that God has revealed Himself to you, Christian? He has revealed Himself to you. He has shown you the way that He wants to be seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Specifically, Jesus sacrificing Himself for you on the cross. So, since you have come to know God, and I love Paul here, um, you know, when I'm writing up a sermon, I go, oh, backspace. Made a mistake, right? My typewriter, I scratch that out, and I start writing something new. Paul here, I don't know if, if, if he didn't want to waste another sheet of parchment. I don't know what's going on, but I love it. Uh, he says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, <laughs> Paul pulls a tricky one on us. And he says, wait a second. What you understand is that you have come to know God. What the truth is, is that God has come to know you. In fact, He has come in the form of you, being born of woman under the law, so that you would know Him. Um, you know, I can't remember who this came from. I know that C.S. Lewis said something about it, and then uh, Billy Graham used it in his crusades sometimes. Uh, so Lewis said it first, and I... I'm, I'm going to mess up which way it's going to be said, okay? Uh, but always the Christian faith looks something like this, right? So you're, uh, he, Lewis explained it like this, that, that it's kind of like you're in a hallway. And as you're walking by a door in this hallway, the, there's a sign, and the sign says, uh, come to Jesus. It's essentially an invitation. And then you walk in the door, and on the other side of the wall, there's another sign, and it says, God did it all. It's this weird dynamic in our faith. And Paul's bringing it out right here. You have come to know God. Other side of the door. Truth is, God has actually come to know you. What it looks like from an earthly and from a human perspective sometimes is that I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. But Paul has done everything in his power to kick that out of us in this letter so far. And so he says, I know what it looks like. I know it looks like you came to know God. The truth is, he came to know you. Specifically, he came to you. He showed himself in a way that you could understand and in the way that he wanted you to know him, the person and work of Jesus. <laughs> How, okay, 
But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves, whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul asks a question here. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have done all the work with you in vain. I'm afraid I may have come and shared the gospel with you to no fruit. This was Paul's fear here as he's writing this letter. What are we talking about? Worthless elementary principles of the world. Well, he, he goes on to use an example here. First of all, it's those things that we have been enslaved to in the past. Uh, and, and one of the ways that we've been talking about this in this series is that, yes, Jews were enslaved to the law. In fact, they enslaved themselves to the law, and they got confused. They walked, in the, they walked on the other side of the door and said, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. And Paul's here to remind them, no, that's not the way that faith works. You're not doing it. By no works of the law will anyone ever be saved. Paul's told us over and over and over again. And yet we've also talked about these Gentiles, these people that used to be pagans, like you and me. And these pagans, what they believed was that somehow this... uh, you know, pick your God, pick your God, pick your ancestor, whoever it is, uh, whether it's Thor and Odin or um, Umwari, the creator God here in Southern Africa, whatever the case may be, pick your God. That's the one that you had enslaved yourself to before. And what does that look like? That looks like living your life in a certain way. Said another way, we would say works of the law. That I want this God to be pleased with me, then I better do things that are going to please this God, and then He will bless me. If I want the Creator God to shine His light upon me, then I better treat this Creator God the way that He wants to be treated, and sacrifice, give up what needs to be given up to Him. If I want my ancestors to look kindly upon me, then I better do something for the people here and now so that they will bless me. Look, Paul is calling Jew and Gentile away from all of it. And he sums it up with these words, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. One of the really cool things that Christianity did when it had a lot of authority in the world was that it stole people's days and months and seasons and said, that's for Jesus now. Okay? <laughs> Some people think this is kind of a funny thing that, why would, oh, this seems manipulative. Why would we do that? Like, you know, stealing Christmas from a culture and then calling it Jesus' day, right? And then uh, stealing Easter and stealing this harvest time and stealing this thing and this thing and this thing. And then we put our names on it and we call it a blessing from God. Why did Christians do this in the past? Was it to trick people? No, it was actually to take these false gods that they were worshiping and to redirect them to the true God who had truly blessed them with all of these things. And and Paul's saying, look, you used to observe these days and these months and these years. And by going back to those things, 
you're actually giving yourself over to these things that aren't really God's, these things that you're going to have to do works of the law for, and in the end, it's not even going to save you. Maybe I labored over you in vain. Maybe it wasn't worth it. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also become as you are. You did me no wrong. What Paul's saying here is like, it's kind of an interesting thing. Paul, clearly a Jew, he says he's the Jew of Jews, and yet he's identifying with his Gentile brothers and sisters right now. He's saying, like you, I too used to follow works of the law. Like you, I too once followed months and days and seasons and thought that it would save me, that it would make God glad towards me. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Okay, so this is where we don't have an exact picture of what's going on. Um, and so I want to be, uh, I do want to open up your imagination a little bit using the text. Um, and yet I want to put just a little bit of salt on it too and say, eh, maybe. Okay, so what is Paul saying here? Uh, maybe that he got stuck in Galatia because he was unwell. And that's why he ended up there and started preaching the gospel to them. This is not the first time, first group of people you'd probably want to preach the gospel to, right? They were flip-floppers. They were people that every time someone saw something new coming down the line, they jumped on it. Which is why when the, Jew, the, the Jewish Christians or the Jewish false teachers came in and started teaching, aha, you have Jesus, but do you have this? Because that's going to make you a real Christian. And everyone fell for it. Everyone started running towards them, running after them. Um, and so maybe this isn't the first place Paul would have chosen. And yet there he is. He's sick. He's down on his, uh, down on his luck, as it were. And he's with the Galatians. And what is this ailment? He has some sort of bodily problem. And though my condition was a trial to you, so they took care of him, uh, and it was work for them to take care of him. This was someone that was supposed to come and minister to them, and they ended up ministering to him. But you, uh, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel from God. Angel here, what does that mean? A messenger. That's what the word angel means. Uh, Paul here isn't calling himself an angel, but what he's saying is, you treated me like I was. You treated me like I had the very words of God that I was bringing to you. Well, because he did. But they, they understood it. They accepted him for who he was. He says, even as Christ Jesus, my words were so serious and real to you that you believed me like Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. And so here's where the question marks start coming up. What's the bodily ailment? Why are they gouging out their eyes? We don't know exactly. Here's what we can say. Um, we know that Paul did not live the easiest of life after coming to Christ. Uh, we know that he was out on the ocean a lot traveling, that he was getting shipwrecked quite often. 
um, that uh, while he was out, uh, look, they didn't have sunglasses back then. Also, when he's on the road to Emmaus and some sort of light blinds him. Needless to say, there's lots of circumstances that we can read out of our text of Scripture and, and see that Paul's eyes probably weren't being treated in the best way here. Later on in the letter, uh, if Paul is speaking this letter to someone, Timothy or Titus perhaps, who's writing it down, uh, he says, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So he takes the pen out of t- t- Timothy or Titus's hand and he starts writing, except for he seems to have eye problems. And so he's writing with large letters. He's emphatic. He is serious. He wants you to know what's going on. And in order for you to know that, he's got to write with his own hand to let you know, this is coming from me. Remember, when you receive my words as from Jesus himself, receive these words as from Jesus himself. You can tell it's me because I'm writing with gigantic letters because I can't do it any other way. He even says that you would gouge out your eyes and given them to me. Well, they didn't have eye surgeries like that back then. Uh, needless to say, they couldn't have done that. It wouldn't have worked, right? It's not like Jesus' righteousness being put on you. You can't just get new eyes and pop them in your head. All that to say that this ailment seems to have something to do with Paul's eyes. They were willing to go all the way to help him. And uh, later on, we see him refer to his eyes. Uh, I say all that because these are details that when we're reading our Bibles can kind of be like, what, what's going on here? Like, there's lots of theological things, like the powers and principalities that maybe you need some help with, that we all need help with. We maybe have to open up another book and read about it. And yet there's things like this that we actually don't have clear answers to. And for me personally, I like history. Paul's already given us the history of what's going on in Galatia. Now he's given us a different piece of history that we don't know anything about. I get distracted by it, okay? I get distracted by it. Don't get distracted by it. This is at least what we can pick out from this text and kind of know what's going on. What then's happened? What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Look, I told you the truth back then. Now you're going to a whole different gospel If you're going to a whole different gospel, do you know what that means about the gospel that I gave to you? I'm an enemy to your gospel. Have I become an enemy to you? Think about that. Think about that. Because, look, I'm I'm, I'm happy chappy to just let Christian churches work out whatever it is that they're doing. But as we've talked about in this letter, what's going on in Corinth where there's awful sin... It needs to be corrected. And what does Paul say? Hey, get back in here. Let discipline happen. Be forgiven. But what does he say to the Galatians? You foolish Galatians. Paul's not saying that, hey, look, your adultery over here, it's a a threat to your life. But it's not threatening the gospel necessarily. But this false teaching in Galatians... It's a threat to the very truth that saves you. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. 
Paul's referring back to these false teachers now. He's saying, you know what? They go around talking about all the foreskins they got from you. They go around talking about all the laws that you guys are now obediently following to be better Christians. They're making much of you. Why? So they can say, ah, look at the foreskins I got for this one. Look at all the, look at all the rules I got them to follow on this one. They're making much of you so that they can make much of themselves. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Look, if you're doing something good, great. Celebrate the person. Celebrate the person. And not only when I'm present with you, if there's good things going on in your congregation, celebrate it, Paul's saying. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed. Paul's admitting here, my tone is strong. My tone is serious. And it's serious, uh, not to make it too graphic, I guess I've already been doing that. (laughs) He's in the pains of childbirth right now. He's saying, I am straining at every oar on this boat to get the good news to you. Why won't you believe that this has effectively saved you? Why do you keep going back to the old ways? To those, those uh, what does he call it, elementary, those beginning principles, those things we all understand in some way or another. But yeah, here it's interesting. He says, until Christ is formed in you, um, he's not saying that uh, until you become perfect Christians. Uh, what he is saying is, I know you believed this. I know that you believe it still. You need to hear it again and be reminded of that truth. And you need to hold on to it. You need to hold fast to it. And he wishes that he could be present and change his tone. But let's go back quick, quick. Um, I don't have a big idea for this week. I'm breaking all of my rules this week. I've got no big idea because it was too difficult for me to pick one. I didn't like any of them. You've got you to find your own big idea for this week. Okay, uh, Make it personal. Uh, hey, at the end of chapter 3, we read this. And if you are Christ, that is, if you are saved by Jesus, if you believe that Jesus has died for you, if you are resting and relying upon Him for your salvation, then you are a part of Abraham's family. And if you are a part of Abraham's family, then you have received... Uh, another word here that Paul's using for good news is the promise. You have received the promise. What does he mean? Well, chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, this is a person who, then, who inherits everything, okay? As long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though, he is the owner of everything. But, he is under, under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. We talked about these guardians and these managers last week. Paul called the law a guardian and a manager. What does the law do? What does the guardian, the manager do? He walks behind you with the little uh, ruler and he says, 
Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's going to kill you. That's going to kill you. That leads to death. That leads away from God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, And now, Paul is saying, you have become heirs. You have taken up your inheritance. The guardian is no longer behind you slapping your hand. You're receiving it right now. We also know that this inheritance is something that we receive in full in the future. And yet, he's saying, you've received it now. Um, As a child, so back then, children were treated as slaves. Uh, this don't don't picture. Uh, although, yeah, I'm sure there was plenty of whipping to go around. Uh, you don't need to picture whips and uh, you know humans being like dragging uh, plows in the earth or something like this. Uh, the whole economy was based upon being enslaved to someone for work and for financial security and for food. Right? That's the way the whole culture worked. The way the whole economy worked. Uh, we don't really have a translation of that today other than slave, okay? which is, is still a good word understood in the right way. And yet, a child, unlike a slave, even though they were treated like a slave until they would become an adult, they were the owner of everything, even if it didn't look like it. And, and what Paul was saying here is, under the law, uh, you were still the owner of everything, it just didn't look like it. Uh, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. That is, before we understood that we were heirs of Christ, (laughs) we were enslaved to those elementary principles that we've already talked about. Those days, those months, those seasons, those things that we thought were gods, that wanted us to think they're gods, and they weren't really gods. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, Born under the law. Why? Why did Jesus, why did he have to be born under the law? Why did Jesus have to follow, uh, especially what we're talking about here is the moral law, when he was born as a little Jewish boy into a Jewish family, into a Jewish community, uh, and going to temple and so on and so forth? Why did he have to do this? He did this to save you from the law, to redeem you from the law. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. What laws? Any laws. (laughs) Any laws. We're talking about pagans and we're talking about Jews now. We're talking about laws that you thought you had to follow to be saved by your gods or by the God. Christ came and saved you all from all of it. So that you might receive adoption as sons so that you might receive adoption as sons. Um, You, hey, do you remember before you were born and uh, you got to pick your family? And so you were were sitting in some sort of black space and uh, someone put out before you family groups and you said, well, you know, I like the hair of that one and I like the, the way that they work their household here. And, uh, you know, that family looks loving, Ah, it's a hard decision. I do like hair. Um, No, that's not the way it worked. When you were born, you didn't get to choose the hair that you had. You didn't get to choose if the family was loving. You didn't get to choose how the household worked. You were born into it. For some of us, that was really great. 
For some of us, that was just okay, and for some of us, it wasn't great. For some of us, it was filled with heartache and sadness. For some of us, it was full of mercy and grace. No matter what the circumstance, you have been adopted into a new family. Uh, And you know what? You haven't come to know that family. You didn't pick the family still. God came to know you. In fact, He was born as a man under the law so that He could save men and women just like you and me. So that He could adopt you as children who share in the inheritance that was all His. Christ is giving that to you. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Um, Once again, this is just an intimate knowledge of who the Father is. That we are sharing a Father with Jesus is a significant thing. So you are no longer a slave but you are a son. You could say son or daughter here. (laughs) But um, like we've talked about it before, the reason why son is being used instead of son or daughter is because sons were the inheritors. So daughter, even though you're not a boy, you're a son right now. (laughs) And that is to say that you are receiving the full inheritance. Each and every one of us. Um, And you are an heir through God. If you'll remember the story of the prodigal son, uh, it's, it's so beautiful in so many ways. One of the things I love about the story, though, is that the son goes out. He thinks he's got the full inheritance, right? He thinks he's got his half. All is good. And he goes out and he burns through it all. And he, he's ashamed. He's filled with guilt. He doesn't want to go back goes back, and the father has his arms open. He's preparing a feast. And what is he really saying? He's saying, your inheritance is here, waiting on you. There's never a lack of inheritance. This is one of the beautiful things about this story. Even the brother, the other prodigal brother, who who who, who didn't want to... Um, you know, he didn't want to... He didn't want to show that same kind of grace that the Father was showing. And yet, his his inheritance wasn't disappearing. It's full inheritance for both brothers. There's plenty to go around. There's no shortage. And you know what? This is true of of God and and in Christ. This is true for you and for me. There's no shortage of inheritance. It's all yours. You are an heir through Christ. Adopted. Loved. Cared for. Saved by the blood of Jesus. And the Father welcomes you in each and every time that you have run off and you felt like you've just burnt through the whole promise, through all the gifts, through all the inheritance. He welcomes you back. And he says, it's, it's all here waiting on you. It's always here waiting on you. This is also what Paul is doing to the church in Galatia. He's saying, you tried to get away from the promise. You tried to run away from the inheritance. But the truth is, it's still here. You're still here. 
God is still with you. Jesus is still your Savior. And no matter what you're trying to do out there to save yourself, be reminded that it's not going to work. Because by works of the law, no one will be saved. Instead, come into the Father's merciful, loving, and gracious embrace through Jesus. It's no small thing that we always confess that Jesus is God's only Son, and yet we then become adopted as sons. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.